You're listening to another This Is Your Podcast production. Hey everybody, Ryan Dunstan, Keith Reedon, joining you once again for episode 24 of the Puck and Hoop podcast. And Keith, I'm going to start with this. Uh, there's a guy who was a big part of my childhood, probably a big part of yours too, by the name of Frederick J. Flintstone. <laughs> and he offered up some pearls of wisdom in one of his episodes on the Flintstones uh, that may be very apropos for the Toronto Maple Leafs who find themselves down 2 nothing to the Florida Panthers, losing both games at home, despite the fact that they probably outplayed them in, in the bulk of those two games. Toronto does trail 2 nothing. So what are these words that Fred Flintstone could offer up to the Maple Leafs? Simply this. The situation is desperate, but not hopeless. And that's the attitude the Leafs have to have. They have to come in with desperation, because there still is hope. They've played well enough to win these games, but they got to make a move now, heading into game three in Florida. Um, so I guess we should start with taking a look back at game two before we actually start to look ahead to game three as to just what happened to the Maple Leafs against the Panthers. And for my money, it was just flat out missed opportunities and a great performance by Sergei Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky, you have to remember, I mean, this guy had lost his job so many hockey guys that I know were saying, you know, the, the Panthers have $10 million sitting on the bench. And people who were sleeping on Bobrovsky and who had forgotten that this guy was an upset master back in the day, well, he's reminding me. I mean, after those first two goals that he led in by the Maple Leafs and the way the Leafs were flying, Brian, I thought that, you know, okay, they're going to rebound and have the that blowout game like they blew out uh, the lightning in the first round. You know, I thought this was going to be like a mm-hmm. seven. I, I really did. I thought this was going to be like a seven, one game, seven, three game. But uh, Bobrovsky, I mean, so many timely saves and dare I say, lucky saves and a lot of tips, <laughs> a lot of tips. How many times did the puck dribble right past uh, that? Like within inches of the post. You know, so no, and and how many times did they actually hit the post and, and the crossbar? Cross so. But you know what? I mean, yeah, especially in tight, he was really challenging leaf shooters. He's a big man, anyways, right? And he was challenging the leaf shooters, which was you know quite impressive. Not a lot to look at, um, you know. So here's a guy who lost his job to. Alex Lyon, the 30-year-old uh, wonder kid. Journeyman. journeyman but who played, wonder who, kid. Who, who played no. great, right? Down the stretch. Absolutely. And, and even, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the first couple of games in the, against the Bruins, you know, but then in comes Bobrovsky. And, you know, like, you know, he's a two-time Vesna trophy winner for, for a reason, you know? He has a $10 million contract per year. For a reason. So, you know, it's not shocking that, you know, he made 34 saves <laughs> against the Leafs uh, on Thursday night. And a lot of them, Brian, of the spectacular variety, you know. And, you know, Paul Maurice, the Panthers head coach, said afterwards, I'm not going to quote him, but he just said, you need a goaltender to steal a game in a tough series if you expect to win it. 
And Sergey might have just stolen the, that game for us. You know, now the Leafs are going to Florida down 0 and 2. And wasn't that the fear coming into the series that Sergei Bobrovsky, who can go on a heater, just happened to find it in time for this series? So, yeah, Bobrovsky was a big factor. But another factor in the Leafs' demise in Game 2 of the series was uh, from their own doing, turning over the puck at the blue line, Matthews and Marner, uh, making a play in the middle of the ice that led to another goal, William Nylander. The big forwards for the Leafs are the ones that ultimately made the biggest turnovers in this game. And the thing about Florida, they're very opportunistic. They don't need much of a chance to take advantage, and they certainly did take advantage when they got the chance in Game 2. But that being said, Bobrovsky, the turnovers, the opportunistic Panthers, you can't win a hockey game in the playoffs or any time in the season, for that matter, scoring just two goals. So the big shooters for the Maple Leafs, who got plenty of opportunities, I think out of the 35 shots, the big four, I'm going to throw Tavares, Nylander, Marner, and Matthews in there. They got 22 of those 35 shots. Like if you give those guys 22 good-looking chances, which most of them were, you expect to win that hockey game. And they didn't. So that's got to be doing two things to the Leafs. It's playing in their heads because what are we going to do to beat this guy? And also... We got so many opportunities. Just keep doing what we're doing, and the levy will break at some point. Bobrovsky will cave at some point because that's kind of his history. He'll play great for a bit, and then he'll go right back into the toilet. So the the Leafs have to hurry up and get to the toilet factor and not have the great factor going, especially with Game 3 just a couple of days away. You know, yeah, he historically... He's gone into the quote-unquote toilet. But I think it's a little different this year. I think with Alex Lyon behind him, he knows two things. One, if he fails, there's a competent goalie, you know, ready to go. And the Panthers know that. Um, But the other thing is, there's also a guy breathing down your neck. So I think that tends to sharpen your game when you know, you know, if I have a bad game, I'm coming out. You know, and as you mentioned, you know, the Leafs, I believe, Marner, Matthews, Nylander, each had six shots apiece. And I, there was one chance towards the end of the game where Matthews had a good chance. He shot it low. Uh, Bobrovsky made a pad save. And uh, the commentator said, oh, he was going for he was going for his five hole. And I thought, wow. If he's going for his five hole, he really missed. He missed that five hole by a couple of feet. You know, and this is one of the premier shooters, you know, of the last five years. I'm not even saying this year, the last five years. So I think, though, that when you start to get a guy like Bobrovsky on a heater, as you said, you tend to, there may be a point, and I'm saying game three, obviously game three is critical. You can't go down in an NHL series and 3 especially on the road. Um, but it's critical, I think, again, for the Leafs to score early. I mean, hey, they scored early in, in this one. But it's critical for them to, to beat Bobrovsky so that if it does come down to a really close game, the Leafs aren't squeezing the, you know, aren't squeezing the uh, stick a little too tight. 
I think you got to get to him early. I mean, uh, you know, big, big deal. I mean, like that's a surprise, but you got to get to him early and often. I, I think we need a least blowout here um, in game three. Uh, if they're to get back in the series, um, because even if they just win game three, squeak by and, you know, you, it's like, uh, you know, we're a basketball and hockey show. You can't trade trade shots here now, now, right? You can't be trading shots with the Panthers when you're down 0-2. You've got to get out on them and hammer them. Yeah, well, you know, that that's a theory, I guess. And uh, I'm going to let you keep that. But I think a win is a win in the playoffs. doesn't matter how you get it. 3-2 in overtime, 8-2 in regulation. Doesn't matter. Get that first one under your belt. Get that mojo moving back in your direction. And then let's worry about game four uh, and and see what happens then. So in in game two, there were a couple of instances that caused Leaf fans, um, let's call it some consternation. Big consternation and little consternation. I'm going to deal with the little one first with Michael Bunting getting cross-checked by Sam Bennett. Um, People were looking at that as something that could have dealt, they could have been, uh, a supplementary discipline looking at that in terms of Sam Bennett getting a suspension. Hey man, it's playoff hockey, a cross check to the neck, not the best looking optic in the world, but it wasn't like a serious attempt to injure. So he did, he got fined, but no suspension. And that, and I agree with that to a certain extent where I have a disagreement with the league is in the second instant that took place in this game. And this was when Matthew Nyes and Sam Bennett got tangled up behind the Florida net. The puck's long gone. Bennett gives him a rabbit punch, gives his knees a rabbit punch in the back of the head, then grabs him, wrestles him to the ice, and then basically jam, jumps down on top of him. Like, not even remotely a hockey play. At the very least, it should have been interference, probably even a double minor for roughing, or even worse, a five-minute major for attempt to injure. Because as it happens, Knees leaves the game, and it's fur- and furthermore, he's been diagnosed with a concussion and is likely gone for the series. How the league does not review that play to me, is it leaves me scratching my head. You know what? It's interesting to me, very interesting. Given the way that these games have been called and that the way most of the playoff games have been called that I've watched, I was shocked that one, Bennett didn't get Sam Bennett didn't get an interference call because the puck was nowhere around the two of them uh, when he made that tackle, you know. And the other thing is, at the very least, oh yeah, yeah, that's no, no, that that's it. That's what I'm saying. At the very least, but I actually thought that that bordered, I, and I love you know some of the rough stuff in in playoff hockey, but I thought that bordered on a really dangerous 100%. play where you're pulling a guy down by the neck and you're pulling him down I guess backwards into the side and I watched it and I was like whoa okay first I thought he uh, that nice hit his head on the ice but then when they slowed it down it, it seemed like he didn't like he he got his shoulder and I thought maybe you know he got a little bit of a neck whip in there but yeah I, I'm shocked that that was not uh you know that that was not reviewed, given some of the reviews 
that we've already seen in the playoffs, you know, like Michael yep. Bunting. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Michael Bunting going out for three I know. for three games, right? Well, here's a three games. Thing too, Keith, I should have added this as the third instance in that game that causing Leaf fans consternation. And I think that this is where the concussion actually uh, first took place. Matthew Kachuk le- leveled a heavy elbow on Matt Nyes earlier in the game. Like, he got penalized for it, but it should have been worse because it was a direct shot to the head. That's a five-minute angel for Mel elbowing any day of the week. Why that wasn't applied in this situation, I'm not sure. So I'm thinking that, hey, that's the... Because he didn't hit his head when he went down with Bennett there. He got tangled up. It was a horrible-looking play. But to me, getting a concussion out of that, that's a weird scenario. But maybe it exacerbated the lingering effects of that elbow from earlier in the game. How the league doesn't look at both of those incidents, you know, it just leaves you shaking your head. Like, what are the rules here, George Peros, who's in charge of supplementary discipline for the NHL? Like, what what do you <laughs> what are the criteria here? Because both of those plays look like plays that would involve suspensions and definitely some more discipline beyond what the referees levied in game two. Now, be that as it may, that did not cost the Leafs the game, and I'm not sure it's going to cost them games in the future because they are a deep team. The Leafs are the arbiter of their own fate in this series. If they're not going to take advantage of their opportunities, then you might as well just hand a sweep to the Panthers right now. But if they can find a way to take advantage of their opportunities, which there have been a plethora of them, then we're going to have a series. So that, Keith, is why I'm still fairly optimistic about this. Losing two games at home in a series is never good. It's never what you want. But sometimes the way you lose can give you just that little bit more, hmm, we're not out of this. We're still in this. And I think that's one of the things the Leafs have to build their uh, hopes up, hopes on. And that realize, yeah, the situation's desperate, but it's not hopeless because we've played pretty darn well despite losing two games. You know, George Peros is much smarter than I. I might, the, I might uh, question, I might question Princeton, that, Keith. Right? Just because the man <laughs> went to Princeton does not make him a genius. Yeah, <laughs> an Ivy Leaguer from Princeton. But you know what? Um, I forgot that he was the, what do they call him? The uh, head of player yeah. safety? Senior Vice President of Player Safety, that's yeah. his title. Well, we're, and, well player safety, makes me that, smile, that makes me laugh when I think about the, the hit that Bennett leveled on Nye's. Player well, safety? And, and that, Where's the player and safety was, and in that? And, and that that exactly was my yeah. point, you know, because you had said supplemental discipline. When you say discipline, okay, I can think of George Peros. Mm. But, you know, player safety, I mean, I, I think he had, uh, you know, an obligation to actually, to, you know, look at that, at that play very closely. Because, as I said, it was, for me, it was verging on a very dangerous play where a young guy could have gotten hurt. Um, you know, hey, he's out there. I know some people are saying, hey, he's out there. He's, he's in with the big boys, right? But still, I mean, you know, you could have gotten hurt on a, on a non-hockey play to me. Now, I, I know what you're saying about Kachuk, but at least to me, the Kachuk elbow was in the flow of the game. This seems like this tackle takedown seems like it's totally... Um, you know, outside of, of the game and unnecessary. And yeah, you know, I, I don't think that Matthew Nyes is the, um, is going to be the difference between the Leafs winning and losing this series. But I mean, Hey, you know, 
you, a lot of times, as you know, when you're winning a, a long series, it's, it's war of attrition, mm-hmm. right? The guys who go down and then you don't have them available, you know, you need every hand on deck. And now it looks like the Leafs, even if they are to rebound from this series uh, and win this series, they're not going to have one of those hands. And a guy who was progressively getting better game by game. No question. No question. Well, well, the thing about that, it, you can look at it as they're being shorthanded because they've lost one of their better performers in the uh, games that he's been in. But he kind of was found money. You know what I mean? He's a bit of a luxury because nobody expected him to come in and perform the way he did. And the Leafs, as we've talked about ad infinitum since the trade deadline, are a very deep team. So, yeah, it's going to suck losing him because he was playing pretty darn good hockey. But... It's not going to be too detrimental to their fortunes, hopefully, going forward. Um, The last thing I want to talk about for Game 2 before we look ahead to Game 3 a bit more, Keith, is, um, you know, all this talk about the goaltending of uh, Ilya Samsonov, that he's letting soft goals in every game that he's played. You know, it's so easy to criticize goaltending when you lose. The winner charges the narrative. The loser gets the brickbats thrown at them. That's just the way it is. So that goal that uh, Barkov, Sasha Barkov scored looked like a soft goal. Ilya never, Samsonov never saw it. So you can't stop what you can't see sometimes, and that's what happened. I'm not going to put any extra weight on Samsonov in terms of losing or winning this game. He played pretty darn good. He made some great saves to keep in the game when Florida did push back. Um, would he want that goal back from Barkov? I'm sure he, every goal he does. But if you give up just three goals and really in back-to-back games, because the fourth goal was an empty netter, I think, in game one, this Leaf team should be doing better than that. So let's leave Samsonov alone. He's playing good hockey in this series, and let's move forward with him. And let's not let's end this talk of Matt Murray or Joseph Wall coming into this series at any point in time. The net is Samsonov's, and he's earned it. Yeah, I just want to make a little bit of uh, of a correction. That fourth goal was not an empty netter. Um, that was the in game, Brand- in, in game one. That was a Brandon one? Montour goal. Remember oh, right, he- from the, the shot from the point. Yes, yes. Right. And I mean, hey, right. you know what? The Barkov goal, um, I didn't think, and you know, I, I, like to, I like to jump on the Leafs as much as, the next uh, non-Leaf fan, but I actually thought that was a re- that was a great shot. I mean, where that shot ended up, like far corner. And I mean, Barkov changed his stick angle because he was being checked, and I think that that was partially, you know, why that goal. I, I thought uh, that Samsonov was in good position, and with the change of the stick angle, that's why that goal went past him. Plus, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know. With the quick turnover, you know, after being a bit under siege, I think that, you know, all of a sudden, hey, you got to get ready again. You're kind of thinking, hey, it's going up the ice and bang, it's coming right back at you, you know? So I'm not giving any excuses for Samsonov, but I I can't, I couldn't label any goal in game two as a soft goal, to be honest. So, I mean, you know, he's got that disposition too. That, you know, sun's going to come up tomorrow, right? And uh, I like, yeah. I really like his disposition. And I think it's the kind you need to go to, um, to go to Florida 
and win a couple of games. Because I think right now the Leafs have put themselves in a terrible spot. I don't think they win this series if they go to Florida and only split this uh, the two games. I think they must. I think they're in a must win, a must sweep position in Florida um, right now. If they're going to win well, the series, hist- history would indicate that that would certainly be the case. Uh, it's only happened a handful of less than a handful of times that anyone's come back from three one down, let alone three love down. All right, let so alone, game three. Let alone of, Brian for a second. Let alone o two on the road. Although the well, Devils that's, did it actually, this year, that that just happened, right? That yeah, just Devils, happened. So Devils did it this yeah. season, but o two. Yeah. I, I looked that. I looked that up, Brian, and it's like an eight percent chance. Um, that you win a series if you are down eight, if you're down 0-2 on the road, so a 92 percent uh, chance the other team wins. Is it that high? I thought it was more in the 80th percentile for the winning for the leading team. But no, you know it's whatever. 8%. That's, that's neither yeah. that neither here nor there. They have to do that. That's what they have. That's what's ahead of them, and they're quite capable of doing that. And it has to start for my money in Game Three. So there are a couple things I think we need to see in Game 3 from the Maple Leafs. One, they've got to bear down in front of the net and put the puck by Bobrovsky. They've got the uber-talented guys who are elite net front scorers in Matthews, in Nylander, in Tavares. So we have to see some of that eliteness come to the fore. That's one thing. Two, they've got to keep a hand on the forecheck of uh, the Florida Panthers, which I thought they withstood pretty well in Game 2 but they could be even better at that. Don't make the little turnovers in the middle of the ice or at your blue line. Stop giving Florida an assist. Play your game. If they can do all that, Keith, which isn't asking a whole lot for this Maple Leaf team, then I think they'll come out of game two, game three and four pretty successfully. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it's desperation time, but you can't play desperately. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's desperation time, but you got to keep a cool head and for what I've seen, Florida has outplayed the Leafs five on five. And they've done when? a great job. Oh, I'll when? tell you. They've done it. They've done a great job at bottling the Leafs up. In in oh, so many times I saw the Leafs trying to gain the zone, Brian. Mm-hmm. And it, it five on five, and Florida just turning it away, you know, forcing everything. Uh, and, and they were saying on the broadcast, they kept forcing a two-on-one and making them make a, di- not a dying, making a horizontal pass at the blue line, and then that Florida would still get their sticks on. And I heard it on the broadcast, but it was also something that I was seeing with my own eyes. And uh, trust me, I'm a guy who, I sometimes marvel at the least passing as they enter, you know, the opposing uh, zone. But Florida did a great job great job in the middle of the ice uh keeping them you know at bay you got to remember too all of florida's goals were five on five all three of their goals were five on five in this last game so i mean to say that they outplayed the least five on five i I think that's pretty accurate statement given those i'll agree i'll agree that they outscored them five on five but to say they outplayed them at five on five not from what I saw. I think that the the ice was definitely tilted for the entirety of the first period um, in Toronto's favor. For much of the second, except for the one minute and six seconds to start the second, and into the third, 
Toronto was all over them trying to get that tying goal. So I, I'm not sure what you saw, but, you know, hey, I'm not going to argue with you because that's your opinion. So anyway, game three, Keith, let's talk about game three and what we want to see from the Leafs in order for them to get back in the series. I already laid out what I think they have to do. What do you think they need to do? Well, I think Mitch Marner has to, one, uh, play like he did in the first round. I mean, he's only got, he only has one assist so far in this, uh, in this series. Um, Hell of an assist, I, though. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think he's got to, I think he has to outplay and play better than Matthew Kachuk. I think, one, they've got to nullify Matthew Kachuk. I, I know that's easier said than done, but they've got to nullify his, his impact, his presence, and not just uh, scoring. I think he's got four points so far in the series. But this guy is a world-class pest. And I think that the Leafs have to basically give him what he's given, what he's giving out. Uh, I think they need someone to be in his face from, you know, the moment he steps on the ice. Again, as I said, I said, I, I think they, the Leafs need to win the middle of the ice. You know, I think they have to, one, bottle up the Panthers, uh, stop the turnovers, obviously. Stop the turnovers in the middle of the ice. I mean, half your guys are flying into the Panthers zone, and then all of a sudden, you got to go back the other way. Um, so I, I think those those things, the thing. Goaltending, I thought the goaltending was fine. Um, you know, the big guns are buzzing. I think they're going to get theirs. I think Marner really has to be dominant. At times, he was dominant against Tampa, you know? And, you know, he did have six shots, but I, I don't think he had the chances that he did against Tampa. Shots are shots, well, but chances are chances. Well, you know, that's uh, that's not entirely true, though, Keith, because that's one of the things they did generate a lot of was chances in game two in particular. Um, they just didn't bury them. No, but, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying them. I'm saying him, him in him oh, in he, particular, him in particular. Yeah, well, okay, but okay. but but maybe just going back. I think I I don't know how you nullify Matthew Kachuk, but I think you you have to do that. If for my for my money, he's been the best player in this series so far. And, okay, you know, well, let's let's talk about Matthew Kachuk because I think that the, you talk about nullifying Matthew Kachuk. I thought that was a pretty big focus in yesterday's game. Sure, he only had a secondary assist in yesterday's, or sorry, was it yesterday? What? Yeah, it seems like yeah, it was a lot, yesterday's game. Already. Yeah, yeah, and game, game two. two. Just say game a, two. <laughs> he had a, yeah, game two. He had a secondary assist. They did a better job on him as opposed to in game one where he was all over the stat sheet and all over the ice and. He, he was not a factor in that game. In fact, I would say he was almost unnoticeable for great stretches of that game, except when he was putting his elbow in someone's chin. Matthew Nye's hello, two-minute penalty. So I think that they've adapted that. Like I said, Keith, I mean, it's one of the things about that game, too, is, man, there's no way you watch that game and think the Leafs lost until you look at the score. There's just no way you come away from that. That's why the look on... Sheldon Keefe's face at the end of that game was kind of like, what the F just happened? How in the name of God did we lose that game? And that's that's the question you're left asking yourself. So if you get that effort going forward, if you get that type of performance going forward, you got to hope that the results will follow. And that's what we have to see in game three. 
You know, it was interesting before this series started, uh, a lot of the pundits were saying, you know, Florida relies so heavily on their top four defensemen and, you know, call it five defensemen. And it, for me, I, I don't think that, yeah, the Leafs were buzzing around them at, at times, but I, I just don't see any real physical pressure on them, you know? Like Brandon Montour. Really? Well, let me let me Brandon stop Montour you there is not a huge guy. Yeah, I think who's you got to be. The, in, who's in leading face. the playoffs in hits? What team uh, is leading the playoffs? Achari? What team is leading the playoff in hits? Oh, okay. What team? I I guess I, I'm going to say I guess the Leafs are. Exactly. They but are you know exacting a physical toll on this team as they exacted a physical toll. I don't understand this narrative that's trying to be built that the Leafs aren't a physical team. They have become a physical team, more so than any at any point in their time with this core four. They are a very physical team, and they're making teams pay the price. Let me ask you, then. I didn't, I, without adding it up, it's much too much math for me. Did the Leafs out-hit Florida yesterday? I'm just looking at. I'm, they I'm didn't looking game, at it. They didn't in game one. It was very close in game one. It was like well, I'm looking at it now. It looks, it looks it looks real close here too. Without adding yeah. it, I, I mean, it's much. Yeah. It's too many no, numbers look, for so, me. Hey, look, I'm not saying Florida's not a physical team, but Toronto is a very physical team too. The physicality is not an imbalance in this series. What is an imbalance is shooting yourself in the foot. Florida's not doing that. Toronto is doing that. That, to me, is the one thing that separates these two teams. You take that out of the equation, Toronto's going to win this series. But if they keep stepping on their own toes, I was going to say something else that's a, a, a euphemism for making the mistake, that which, which New York cops use quite often. Yeah. It's kind of rude. But if you keep stepping on yourself like the Leafs do, then you don't have, you're not going to have any business in this series. Just, that's just a fact. Anyway, enough of the Leafs and Panthers. Uh, game three is coming up with a what? There's a three day break, a two day break between games for some strange reason. Uh, two NBA. day, no, a two day ga- uh, break between games. Which uh, both games? That's the that's the surprising thing. The first two day yeah, break, he, you know, but the second, yeah, yeah it's a lot of time to, uh, you know, Reflect. a lot of time to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot. You of don't time generally to think. see that. Yeah, you don't generally see that in the second round of the playoffs. But let's uh, let's tee up the other series and and uh, bat around what's going on there. Because um, are you surprised at all that the Carolina Hurricane came out and pasted the New Jersey Devils like they did in Game One of their series? Was Very it, surprised. Was I mean, the score. Uh, the the score in the game what was it? Uh, yeah, it five, was five five one five one. Um, yep. I'll go back. Remember, the Rangers actually beat them five to one in the first two games of their series as well. Yeah, but that's the and Rangers. The, they got. I, I was going to say, where are the Rangers? <laughs> but yeah. no, but I mean, all all season, all season, Carolina and New Jersey um, were back to back, neck and neck in the Metro Division, right? Uh, I yeah. think they they only ended up with a one point uh, differential, and you know, New Jersey. Um, I would argue better offensively, Carolina better defensively. I did sure. not think I did not think that Carolina would ring up five goals because I thought the game if for them to do that, I thought the game would be an open, wide open game. 
And then I mm-hmm. thought they'd be playing right into the devil's hands. So yeah, I'm shocked that the devils lost 5-1, especially, um, you know, since they seem to figure it out. They seem to have figured it out against the Rangers, you know, when they shut them out in game seven. So I expected a, a lot tighter hockey from the devils, but you know what? Uh, you know, it's only game one, and they've proven that they can come back <laughs> from a deficit. Yeah, uh, like I would not put the uh, the kibosh on the Devils just yet. Uh, yeah. Game two goes, it, we're recording this actually just as game two is uh, about to get underway. So we'll keep an eye on that and have it uh, teed up for our next podcast coming up in a few days. But let's, let's head out west now where the Dallas Stars have tied their series with the, with the Seattle Kraken. They... um. What was the final score there? 4-2. Uh, and once again, Joe Pavelski. Now, there's a story that needs to be talked about, man. Guy comes back from a concussion, gets four goals, and they lose. Gets another goal in, in, the, in the win in game two. Um, I tell you, man, I, as much as Seattle is surprising people, I still like Dallas in that series. You know what? I, I was a guy who always used to kind of, you know, kind of roll my eyes when they said hockey players we're the toughest athletes out there, but man, some of the stuff we've seen in the first two rounds and guys yeah. just rebound and Joe Pavelski, when he went out, man, I was like, oh. that was a sickening, you know, that was a sickening. That was, that was a ice, crunch. Man. That was yeah. a crunch. Exactly. Crunch. And here he is five goals in two games. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And I mean, I, and you know, and that game, that goal was the winner. You know, he scores yeah. the winner in game two. Uh, unfortunately, four goals and a losing effort, um, you know. But, yeah, no, I'm not surprised by Dallas. Seattle is what is every win Seattle has surprises me. You know, sure. every step that they make. And, and you could say, well, here they are in the conference finals, but it still doesn't matter. Every win that they get shocks me. Yeah. Are you shocked that the uh, Golden Knights have ta- have jumped out in front of the Oilers in that series, winning Game One six to four to take a one nothing lead, with Game Two taking place on Saturday night? Um, what do you think about that? Not at all. I mean, I watched that. I watched that game, and that game was so wide open. Um, and you know what? Every time, uh, every time I say every time, but the Oilers would score. Uh, well, Leon Dreisaitl <laughs> would score. And then, you know, yeah, another four, right? four goals, four goals and a loss at standard, standard AHL practice. Scoring You're going to score goals. four, you lose. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what? Yeah. I wasn't surprised. I watched that full game. Leon Dreisaitl scored 40 seconds later. Uh, you know, 40 seconds later, Vegas comes back. You know? Yeah. Leon yeah. Dreisaitl scores on the power play. And, I, and it was the same guy, too, as Barbashev, right? You know, mm-hmm. one minute later, Barbashev scores. So Barbashev scores twice within a minute to, you know, yeah. nel- and one time it was when they, when they went ahead, and then the other time it was when it looked like Edmonton was going to have, you know, the momentum again, and boom, momentum is done within a minute. Yeah, this game, yeah. I mean, Edmonton's defense, which had been playing Good. well, man. Yeah. Yeah. They've been playing well. Like, they looked so loose. They were yeah, running let t- around. L- let me tell you something, Keith. I start, I tried to stay up to watch that game, and really, I did. I wasn't making it, so I yeah. recorded it. 
I spent more time rewinding to get goals on the PVR because I would <laughs> fast forward, right? And then, oh, somebody scored. I have to go. It was just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the way it was. And hey, you know what? Good for the Golden Knights, man. Like, yeah. you know, they they were like, you know, they were closers. You know, every time mm-hmm. Edmonton looked like they had momentum, Golden Knights just threw water on the uh, water yeah. on the fire, right? So, uh, yeah. no, I, having watched that game, nope, not shocked at all that they are where they are. I mean, you know, really, it was a five-four game. Jack Eichel got an unassisted uh, empty netter, but you know, it, 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 again, five-four, six-four, but it just looked more dominating and. Uh, from the Golden Knights' perspective? Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I watched it in fast forward, so it's hard to get that sense of domination. But it looked like Edmonton was in the game, and that's all you can ask. Look, those two teams, it's going to be fun to watch because it's a track meet every night. And that's, uh, I'll tell you, the, the entirety of the Stanley Cup playoffs as comes as advertised. Every year, without a doubt, round one is just crazy. Round two is intense. It's just, that's why you got to love the Stanley Cup playoffs, man. There's no other event quite like it. Anyway, so that's our look at the Stanley Cup playoffs. Let's shift our focus to Hoot now. And let's dive into the, uh, actually, before we dive into the playoffs and what's going on there, we should talk about uh, the Raptors coaching job, which is still open. Wow. And might might have a new candidate, Keith. Might have a new candidate because who's that, bro? Mike Buden, Mike Budenholzer. Remember him from five years ago? Oh, I remember. He was up him for the for Raptors' sure. job. Yeah. Well, he got let go by the Milwaukee Bucks. So you got to wonder. Masai went courting him before. Will he go after him again? Yeah. I mean, look. I. I don't know. I. I don't really see him as a for Toronto for some reason um, you know I yeah hey he look he's had great success he's also had Giannis um, mm-hmm. you know 58 wins this year though I mean you can't argue with 58 wins he had great success yeah. in Atlanta I, he yeah. led the league with 60 wins he coach of the year there coach yeah. of the year in Atlanta so but, you know yeah you I know, mean you know what the the talk about him is he's a bit inflexible when it comes to making adjustments in like in the playoffs in particular obviously where he's had some failures I mean that 60 win team in Atlanta I don't think they even got to the Eastern Conference final that year did they no pretty and sure I mean, they didn't I mean you know the interest well not interesting but the sad thing is I think you you know right he lost his brother during the series. His brother yes. passed away in a car crash during the series. Um, do they How do you lose continue that? coaching? Yeah, maybe not. But I mean, we, you know, that happens a lot, you know, yeah. and for players, that's, that's, right, as well as coaches. Yeah. And they usually continue to play and or coach. But my thing is, um, if Giannis is 100% healthy, is Mike Budenholzer out of a job? Because well, not today, not today, because the Bucks would be playing in about it, what it, exactly? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I hey, look, the guy's a good coach, and he's out there. Um, you know, the other um, 
candidate I've heard is uh, Becky Hammond. Becky Hammond, right? Also a candidate in Toronto. Yeah, that's the other candidate, and I, I know yeah. for some people, well, there's, there's she's, a whole list of players. Uh, players, there's a whole list of coaches, both assistant and former head coaches, who yeah. they're, they're they're casting a wide net. Well, I mean, she was which I, with which I find very interesting. She was with uh, Greg Popovich for how many years? You know, yeah, and, a number of years, and you know, led the Aces in Las Vegas to the WNBA title. She's yeah. a good coach. She was a well, great think, player. That's for and, and I I love the fact that she led the Aces to the WNBA title. She's won. She can win at every level. But I think for her to be a a head coach of the Raptors, her experience in the league is what is going to, you know what I mean? Is what's going to hold water with the, with the players ultimately. No question. And I think if she, Hey, look, she coached in the summer league um, for the Spurs. I think she knows how to handle uh, players in this league. And as I said, she's from the Popovich coaching tree. So, I mean, you know, they play basketball uh, the right way. So, Yeah, I, but is I that going to be the Raptors' way? We'll have to wait yeah. and see. There, mm-hmm. As I said, Keith, there is a wide net they're casting for coaches. So uh, now they got another fish in the sea with Budenholzer out there. So... We'll see where that lands. Anyway, let's talk playoff basketball because that's why we are here and that's why we love hoops so much. And uh, let's start out West because the Lakers are, you know, they're making a show of it against the Golden State Warriors. That series is tied at one. The Lakers came out of nowhere to win that first game, but the Golden State, you know, pretty much put took the wood to them in game two, winning by almost 20 points, if not more. So... That's going to be a hell of a series. LeBron, Steph, I mean, what's not to like there, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I you know, it's, hey, for once, my uh, prognostication was correct because I fully expected Golden State to come out in game two and do what they did. Um, it's, for me, it's so hard to chase Steph Curry, to chase Clay Thompson around for, you know, for 48 minutes, you know, and you're going to be chasing one of them around. Um, so I'm not shocked, but I, I loved what Clay Thompson said after the game, you know, they asked him, uh, Hey, you know, you got LeBron on the ropes and he just smiled and said, not at all. This is LeBron James. <laughs> He's seen everything. We expect exactly. him to come out harder in game three. So yeah. No, uh, not shocked at all by, by this series. I mean, look, man, Steph Curry um, made some great shots in Game 7 in, against the Kings, made some ridiculous shots last night that even had his, his father in amazement and awe. I mean, I, you know, this is yeah, a but great it was series. His pa- it was his passing in that game that really, you know, people tend oh. to forget, you know, Steph Curry is actually the point guard on the Golden State Warriors. Oh, yeah. He just happens to be the greatest shooter of the basketball we've ever seen. But he is a point guard. And the man can dime, Keith. He oh, was yeah. setting guys up for layups, backdoor dunks, wide open jumpers, drawing double teams with some crazy. He was just, he was sublime in distributing the ball in that game. So, yeah, well, that's this- going to be a hell of a series to watch. Um, the Lakers, 
they're going to have to find a way to come back. And you know they will because LeBron is LeBron. And, um, yeah, man, tied at 1-1. I hope it goes 7 because I'm loving watching that series. Well, now, this the is other the series out west. Hold on, hold, one, one quick thing. You, you mentioned Steph and his ball distribution, his fantastic assists. The thing with Steph, Brian, he only shot 12 times in game two. He does what it takes to win. What did he shoot in game seven of the Kings game? 38 times? Something like that. Yeah. That's what the great ones do, right? That's what the great ones do. That's what it takes to win. 12, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but 12 assists, only 12 shots. I mean, this guy at a plus 24, if you believe in the plus minus in the NBA. Um, But this guy just does what it takes to win. So that's Absolutely. that's the greatness for me of Steph Curry. No question. Now, the other half of the Western Conference bracket has Denver pretty much getting everything they want against Phoenix Suns, Oof. who are hampered once again by an injury. Chris Paul, strained groin, likely out for at least two games, probably longer. Um, does anyone have worse injury his- history in the playoffs than Chris Paul? Yeah, low key, low key injuries, right? They're, these aren't the Kawhi injuries, but yeah, I but mean, enough to wipe you out for a series, right? Oh yeah, hey, I remember, I remember when like he clockwork. Was, yeah, like I remember clockwork that it happens. Yeah, I remember when uh, what was it? A few years back when the Suns, this is before they they won everything, and the Suns were like just ripping it up in the playoffs. And what did he get? The ankle injury. I, I remember he went out, and 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 that was it for their chances. I mean, this guy, you know, we got to remember, this guy is what, a 37, 38-year-old point guard? He's, he doesn't uh, have too many kicks at the can left, man. And you no. know, it doesn't look like a good one this year, but it ain't going to happen against Denver. Yeah, and, and again, uh, you know, I'm going to go with the old adage, a series doesn't start until you lose at home. Because the Suns have yet to lose at home. They, they are down 0-2, but at least, you know, Unlike the Leafs, at least they've got, you know, they're going to go home, right? So, yeah, you know, and they still have two of the, what, two of the top 10 greatest scorers in the game today playing for yeah. them. So, you know, like with the time off, let's figure out, you know, that I really like, by the way, I really like Monty Williams, Phoenix's coach, right? And I think that he's going to figure out something uh, to help them come away with a victory in game three. I'll be shocked if they don't win this game. Remember too, Kevin Durant is also playing for, I love the fact he's got two championships, Brian, but he's still playing for legacy and pride because he's still being questioned. Right. So I I fully expect them to win. Only by fools and charlatans, man. No, I know. But but you know what though? Hey, (laughs) Charles Barkley questions him. (laughs) Well, <laughs> well, yeah. Char- Charles, do you know what part of charlatan is? Yeah, Charles. Charles. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what though? Here's here's the thing though. I I love the fact even if he is being questioned by fools and charlatans, I love the fact that that's personal motivation for him. And if you don't believe that these guys don't listen to that stuff, look at the look on his face when whenever even when Charles' name is brought up now. <laughs> so so there you go. I love the fact that he's going to be motivated. I think he has a great yeah. game tonight. Well, uh, let's 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 call it what it is, though, man. 
Kevin Durant takes everything personally. Oh yeah. Which is why I love which is why I love him. He will take a slight and he will fight back and bite back at you. Which is you know, I, I don't mind that to tell you the truth. You know what? You're gonna come at me, I'm gonna come right back at you. Speaking of coming right back at you, the Boston Celtics certainly Ooh. did that against the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid and his new knee brace in the lineup. They spanked him, man. And only got what seven points out of Jason Tatum in that victory. Yeah, that's that series incredible. is tied at one, and I'm glad to see that. To tell you the truth, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. you know, to have you know your big gun just get like single digit scoring, man, and and you blast the Celtics by 34. Or sorry, you yeah. blast the Sixers. I mean, by 34. Jason Tatum hit one field goal, Brian. One mm-hmm. field goal. I, I he probably hasn't hit one field goal since he was you know seven or eight years old playing basketball. Like this is amazing yeah. what they did. But I mean, Keith, you know, Keith, let me let me interject for a second just to let our listeners know that game three of that series is actually going on right now as we are taping this podcast. So um, we'll know who's ahead by the time you hear our next version of the Puck and Hoop podcast. Oh yeah. But let's just say this. The the fact that the Sixers got a split bodes well for their chances. Sure it does. But, I mean, they needed 45 from, the, what are they calling him? Houston James? The beard? <laughs> they yeah. needed 45. Well, they, and they got it. Joel they got Embiid that. was, yeah, Joel Embiid was not in the lineup when he did that. I mean, so it's a different team. But that beatdown for me, Brian, that just tells me how and shows me how deep the Celtics are. You already know I call Jalen Brown a 1B one, one or 1A, one 1B. One mm-hmm. I mean, he did his thing. But, you know, they also have the NBA's sixth man, right, of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, who I, like, for me, this guy is a starter on almost any other team. He dropped 23 points, you know, and an efficient 23 points on 15 shots. So, you know, the Celtics' depth, for me, that I, I don't know. This series right now, yeah, you got the beard and you and you got Joel Embiid, you got the MVP, but I mean, I think this series is a top as a toss-up. And I mean, during the uh season, what did these guys end up like? Uh both over 50 games. I think they ended up like three games apart, you know, battling through various injuries. So yeah, I think this series is a top the tops up that you know, at least I expected. So yeah. yeah, well, I hope it's a long one. And it's a quintessential Eastern Conference battle of titans. The Sixers and the Celtics kind of makes me think of the old days in the 80s when the Doctor and Larry Bird and Moses Malone and the Kevin McHale and Robert Perry, you know, all of those dudes were playing. But um, Why do I feel you know, you're going to start singing basketball by Curtis Blow at any second? Uh, you know, it could <laughs> happen. It could happen. Not on this podcast, Keith. Not on this podcast. All right, last but not least, uh, the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks are tied at one game apiece. Miami is, uh, look, let's just call a spade a spade, man. If Jimmy Butler's ankle does not permit him to play soon because he's out with a sprained ankle, um, this will be a quick one for the Knicks, I think. I really do believe that. Without Jimmy Butler, um, I can't see the Heat mustering enough offense to to penetrate the Knicks' defense, even though it is tied at one. Yeah, I think they... I think they've got to say thank goodness for the NBA uh, 
<laughs> the NBA playoff schedule, which gives you a lot of uh, a lot of rest in between games, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, because yeah, without Jimmy Butler, I I just don't think they have you know enough because the Knicks are doing it by committee, man. Like Julie, you know, they got yeah. Ju- Julius Randall does it, you know. Jalen Brunson, who I absolutely love, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, this guy plays his own game, you know. Uh, Josh Hart, who I remember from, there's Josh Hart, right? Another Villanova guy. Him and Jalen Brunson played together. And of course, the Canadian, RJ Barrett, almost dropping 20 a game, right? In, you know, yeah. dropping, you know, t- over 20 in the two games against Miami, but over, but 20 a game in the playoffs, man. You know, like, mm-hmm. so. This Look, I, I don't expect Miami to roll. I don't. I don't expect Miami to roll over, but it's going to be very difficult for them to, to really, get, just get enough offense because it's uh, the Knicks do have a pretty good defense and Miami struggles to score. You know, yeah. Tyler Hero out for the playoffs. Jimmy Butler. When will we see him again? That's a lot of offense you're missing. And yes, the Heat scrap, scrape, and find ways. But are they going to find enough ways to really take on this Knicks team? Oh, Hard yeah. to believe well, that they will. Well, you saw the Knicks in their in their uh, their last two games against Cleveland in the first round. They held them under a hundred points. The, they, yeah. the this team can play defense. So you know, like we're looking these like these scores in their series, even with uh, you know throughout the playoffs, these look like scores from. You know, the 2000s, you know, this is not a 2020, a 2020 scoreline that they're allowing. Well, I'd, so I would, I would take it back even further, man, to the Miami Heat, New York Nick contest. I don't know. Those were in the, the mid, 90s. Early to mid, early to <laughs> mid 90s, man, when they were scoring 88 to yeah, 92. Exactly. <laughs> that those kind scores, of thing. Those were a little yeah, more was, grinding. But yeah. yeah you a, know, little, for, little, a little more grindy. A little more. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Those were but I mean, wars of look, attrition, man. They were wars you, of attrition. You know what? At, at the end of the day, you you're one and one. They only lost that game. Uh, you know, they only lost that game two on the road by six. Took a great game, a great second half of a game because he didn't have a first, a great first half from Jalen Brunson. Took a great second half for for the Knicks to win. So you know, if Jimmy Butler can, you know. Do what he does. I mean, thank goodness for him that they got. How do? How's it that they get four days off? <laughs> you know, three days, like three full days in between games, but you don't play. Till Come on, four well, you days said later. you said it. You said it earlier, man. The NBA playoff schedule schedule is the most unusual, weird, convoluted, messed up thing in the history of sports. Every year we say that. Why is there three games between game one and game two? Why is there four games between game four? And you know, like it's just so it's kind of all over the place. But that's, well, it's like why does my just why the way do, it is? You know, why does Boston? Why does Boston and Philly play game two after Miami and <laughs> and, the I don't know. and then play game three before? <laughs> you know, like you know that would be and, a conversation. That would be a great conversation to have with the NBA playoff schedule maker because every year it seems like this comes to the fore. Like, why is there such strange gaps? Like, you've got this series at game four, and that series is only at game two. Like, what is that all about? It's just, I don't know. It's one of those NBA quirks in the playoffs that you just, you know what? You scratch your head and you say, hey, that's the NBA. It's fantastic. 
<laughs> you know, all right. I, that that is that is episode twenty four of the Puck and Hoop podcast, Keith. And we actually did a full Puck and Hoop podcast for the first time in a while. It seems like um, we'll be back pretty quickly because the playoffs keep us hopping. So we'll keep you informed. Episode twenty five will be coming up. Don't you dare miss it. If you're listening to this announcement, you've made it to the end of another TIYP Yellowcast. The opinions, views, and statements you've heard on this edition of Puckin' Hoop are solely those of the host, guests, and their sources. The purpose of the Puckin' Hoop Yellowcast is to entertain and inform our listeners, followers, and subscribers, and to help them form their own opinions. Thanks for listening.